Welcome into the PFF NFL Daily. Today, discussing running backs. And I think most of our listeners know we don't love running backs. We don't love them in the first round. But how high would we actually draft them? It's all brought to you by DraftKings. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three. That's code PFF to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, Sam, we're talking running backs today. And again, the general consensus, never draft a running back in the first round or fill the rest of your needs first or fill up the rest of your roster because the running back is the most replaceable position on the field. And it's the position where the his performance, his production, his stats are the product of everything else around him the most. But the big question is, how high would you draft? How high would we draft a running back? Where is that cutoff? Yeah, it's interesting because I agree with all of the principles. I think that running backs, generally speaking, are a product of their environment, not the driving force of whatever success they are having. Now, that's not absolute, and there are obviously exceptions. Um, and But the, the point is you, you shouldn't chase the exception. You shouldn't try and default to the idea that this guy will be different. You shouldn't go chasing unicorns, is my big phrase, this entire pre-draft process, regardless of the position. So right now on PFF's big board, we have Javante Williams at number 53, Najee Harris, 65, Travis Etienne, 66. Um, And honestly, I think in a vacuum, that's the right kind of area, right? Middle of the second round, late second round. That's kind of where I'd be comfortable drafting one. But these things don't happen in a vacuum. And I think if you look at the draft, there's no way I would be taking one if I'm Pittsburgh, because I think fundamentally it's not addressing the problem they're trying to fix. But let's say you're Tampa Bay. You're sitting there with the number 32 overall pick. Uh, you don't have any any holes in the roster. Like, you fixed it. Your roster, top to bottom, is the best in the NFL, I think, you don't have a glaring need. You have you've you've managed to manufacture the situation that everybody wants to have, which is the ability to have luxury picks. I think if the Bucks spent a pick on a running back, the the bottom of the first round, who turned out to be, you know, as special as some people seem to think that Najee Harris say is in this draft, it wouldn't be crazy. I wouldn't I don't love it but I could be persuaded. You sound like me right now. I like it. A little fence sitting there. And and look, I I hate agreeing with a lot of what you say, but I do. I agree with it. It's not done in a vacuum. My argument against the Bucs at that position is if you're just, if you're looking in the short and long-term lens for their roster, right? The worst case scenario for them next year, as far as repeating as Super Bowl champs, is not that the run game is suddenly not there. Um, And it's probably not that they don't develop a pass-catching running back, even though if you're just going up and down the the Bucs roster, you would say, okay, what was their weakness in 2020? One of them would be catching the ball out of the backfield. It was painful. Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette really struggled. So you could say, yeah, we're going to fill that need in the draft. But I think the worst-case scenario for the Bucs is injuries to the receiving core or – Um, actually missing Antonio Brown if he doesn't come back, not being able to replace his production. 
or the cornerback situation of Jamel, uh, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting taking a step back. So just in the short term, even though those aren't tangible needs, if you're if you're trying to round out the super roster, so to speak, I feel like depth at receiver, at corner, and even on the defensive line is more valuable in the short term. Now, in the long term, if you're going to be thinking life after Tom Brady, certainly three years from now, having Najee Harris rather than maybe a starting corner, a starting receiver, if Mike is Chris Godwin hits free agency and various things like that, not the best play. So that's my pushback on the Bucks filling that last need. But overall, I'm with you in this late second and into the third. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but your yeah. rebuttal on the well, Bucks. I, I think it's it's I think you're right that the the thing that could go wrong for the Bucks is just injuries, period. Not even to, you know, a specific group, but they were fairly lucky last year in terms of injuries, certainly when you compare them to, you know, teams like San Francisco that just got decimated top to bottom. So you could definitely make the argument that, hey, look, we don't have any glaring holes top to bottom. So let's start building in some contingency. Let's start building in some insurance in some of these positions um, so that if injury does hit, it doesn't derail the whole uh, thing and, and wreck things. And look, Kansas City dealt with the same thing, right? They got pretty well wrecked on the offensive line in terms of injuries. And right at the end, it became too much. It became overwhelming and they couldn't deal with it. Now, maybe if they had spent their first round pick instead of a, on a running back on a backup tackle, or a backup guard, or somebody that they hadn't planned on starting, but suddenly in the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, you throw that guy out there, and it's not a train wreck because he's actually a high-round pick that could potentially have saved their season. So I think that's the argument that, hey, look, running back is a luxury pick, and actually a smarter way of spending that is to build in contingency so that if the worst happens, you have some insulation. But... You know, you, you, the question was, how high would you draft a running back? I think you've mooted teams like Miami, the, the Steelers seem relatively inevitably about to pick a running back. No way would I make that move. The Bucks pick at 32, I think, is the absolute highest that I could even be convinced to entertain the idea. Yeah, and I think that's fair. The other thing is when you do, it is about when you look at the roster so full disclosure we're gonna be coming out with a seven round mock draft all of our analysts we're all going through this exercise and everybody at pff is afraid to pick a running back it's not even afraid it's just you know when you know <laughs> we all have the same philosophy basically so uh this mock draft that comes out next week isn't going to look like any other mock draft that you've seen because a running back doesn't come off the board until what 65 or 70 in my defense, I would have picked a running back in the second round, but the two teams I'm currently picking for are both pretty well stacked at running back, so it just wouldn't have made any sense. Had I been a team like, you know, one of the teams that does desperately need a running back, I would have happily drafted one of those guys as the first off the board in the second round. Yeah, well, the bigger issue for me, I'm drafting for the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers, and I, and I was looking at the running backs too, and it's like, okay, the best players on our board – were the top running backs, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, and Najee Harris. And I'm looking at my current roster saying, man, this would be malpractice if I am the Chargers, who don't even have a number two corner that you can try. I mean, they have Chris Harris, but I need to have three corners before I have my next running back to complement Austin Eckler. So I'm thinking corner, and I'm thinking defensive line if I'm the Chargers. If I'm the Patriots, I needed linebacker depth. I needed a couple of – they're close. They have a solid roster across the board, but they're loaded at running back too. With the Jets, I need a triple up at corner uh, or on the defensive line or on the offensive line before I even think about running back. As tempting as Najee was for me 
with the Jets when I was on the board in this mock draft. So I think that's what it comes down to as well. And that's when when I come back to the Steelers and I look at the Steelers saying, we got to make the run game better. Yeah, you do. Number 31 run blocking team, that's not going to cut it. But there's nothing on paper that says that's really going to improve. The bigger issue, if the Steelers are going to get better next year, first off, their pass game needs to improve. And if your argument is, hey, you need a running game, you're going to work play action off it, I get it. But the running back isn't solving anything. And the other part about this whole running back conversation is it's generally easier to get a guy in the third. Like, you know, you just predicting that next guy is difficult. The best running backs in the league, Derrick Henry, third round, Dalvin Cook, he was a second rounder. Nick Chubb, almost a first rounder. Jonathan Taylor last year graded high. He was a second rounder. Alvin Kamara, third rounder. A lot of these guys have been found later in the draft. And that's part of this issue as well is predicting who that next guy is it's not always easy at running back and just predicting period who's gonna have the good situation the good success the best running back last year for a rookie was an undrafted guy um in jacksonville so yeah as much as we all think that these three are the top three backs in this draft there there might be a guy in the sixth round that ends up being the most productive guy as a rookie we just don't know that's the risk with this and that's why it's only even worth taking the running back if you think you've repaired the situation around him to the point where he can have success. Even a guy like Travis Etienne, the the numbers and the production, the performance tailed off along with Clemson's offensive line. When their offensive line wasn't opening the same kinds of holes, Etienne wasn't quite as dominant. And now I will say the attractive thing about Etienne, uh, you know me and speed, man. If you see, I, I think he's got that Dalvin Cook like game speed. If you do have a good offensive line, if you can assure me of good run blocking. Give me ETN all day because that's that opens up that home run hitting ability. That's what I've said about Saquon Barkley. If you knew you had the line, Barkley gets into the second level. It's over. Najee, great feel for the passing game. If you know you're going to pass to the backs a lot, that's great. However, you'd rather be throwing to receivers and tight ends. So I think it all comes down to where your roster is at that point. So what's your your final answer is at 32 overall in the perfect situation, you would take a running back, but more likely late second mid mid to late second uh yes i'll say mid to late second if the rest of my roster building effort is pristine but more likely i'm, I'm starting to look in the third round for a running back so there you have it it's the pff take on when we would take a running back let us know what you think it's a pff nfl daily